Hey, this is Gary Parrish. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. It's Friday, March 18th. Matt Norlander's in Brooklyn for uh, the round of 64 games. Uh, so he is not going to be here, but Sam Bassini is here, and the great Chip Patterson is here. And Chip, as I was sitting in studio in uh, the CBS Broadcast Center last night here in Manhattan, I'm watching the Chris Dunn press conference, and whose voice do I hear come across? Oh, it's me! That was you, live on national television last night. Uh, you, you. Were, you were there for the Providence uh, USC game. Baseline out of bounds play. Final second. Somebody lost Rodney Bullock. Layup game over. Providence wins. USC loses. Did you see anything in person uh, that makes you think Providence can upset North Carolina on Saturday in Raleigh? Uh, not particularly, but we also didn't get to see the, I mean, Chris Dunn, my question to him was about the foul trouble that he got in and how it sort of changed that whole dynamic. Hey, I, I, neither, hey, I know what your question was. You know why? Cause it was on <laughs> national television. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I mean, neither team really played very well though. I mean, USC's, uh, didn't played awful near the end of that game. And the last play was exciting, but it very much was um, the the fourth option. And Andy Enfield had said before then, I thought we played great defense. Uh, I thought that Edwards, who had, was, had the inbounds pass and only played like 12 minutes in the game, like, he looks for Dunn. He looks for Bentle. Uh, there was he was uh, Bullock was supposed to curl off of Chris Dunn, and both of the USC defenders went with Dunn. All of a sudden, he's wide open at the basket, just calling for the ball. So you've got the USC meltdown side, and I don't know how much of that is going to be attributed to the fact that USC is not really uh, in a position where you're expecting them to execute at a high level. Certainly for Providence and for Ed Cooley, there was a lot of uh, relief and happiness that they've been able to finally have this breakthrough moment. And the cool thing, looking towards North Carolina. Uh, Ed Cooley is he is pumped up about playing up this David and Goliath thing. He he told he told us that the name of the play they ran at the end was called Carolina, which of course it isn't. He was just talking smack, and he and he keeps he keeps trying to drum up all this energy. And so I think that we'll see uh, certainly like a, a feisty and an inspired Providence team. Uh, and then I I think that whether or not they're going to be able to keep this close. I mean these two teams played an awesome game two years ago. Uh, it's like a two-point game in the second round. If it's going to be that close again, I think it's going to be a lot more on what North Carolina does than maybe what Providence does. Sam, you saw the final sequence. It really is that simple, right? Just somebody lost Bullock. Yeah, absolutely. No, someone forgot to help down on the uh, on the weak side of the basket, and I forget who it was at this point. But, yeah, no, 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 no. That's exactly what happened. You nailed it. And, you know, um, um, the other interesting thing is, and it sort of gets lost with how the game ended, you know, with that – you know, I don't want to say bizarre, but um, uh, wide open uh, baseline out of bounds play is that we don't get to that point probably unless Chris Dunn just knocks down a, a you know a big time jumper oh. with about ninety oh, yeah. seconds to go, right? Like that, you know that that crazy. Every, everybody's talking about what happened at the end, as you would, but like you know when you're looking for clutch shots from big time players in the NCAA tournament on a big stage, like Chris Dunn had one last night, and I wonder how many people who didn't actually watch the game just saw the highlights. Uh, understand that like uh, Chris Dunn had that moment it just didn't happen to be the final big moment of the game yeah he also go ahead Chip you were there I was just gonna say he 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 also had he almost had that moment if Ben Bentle can get a finish with 16 seconds left right like Chris Dunn makes a great play into the lane and he has an awesome pass to a wide open Bentle at the basket first shot gets stuffed second one may have been fouled but then it ends up ball ends up going out of bounds they call it towards USC so I was you know that was the I was sitting there and I said wow 
You know, the first wide open look didn't work, but the second wide open look did. And Chris Dunn was a part, a very, very important part of the first play. But obviously it was the inbounds pass on the second play. So like there's a lot of points in that game. I mean, like you look at the play by play uh, on stat broadcast, you know, the scoring plays are lit up in bold. There's just no bold for like 90 seconds in that game. It was just <laughs> stuck. Um, and so we, we go two things. One. You got to see it up close last night, Chip. I've, I've seen it for years back since Ed was a, an assistant at Boston College. Like, he's one of the great personalities in college basketball. Like, he's smart. He's funny. Um, I, I'll never forget being at the Final Four. I want to say it was in Indy. Um, right after he got hired at Providence. And, um, you know, you, you bump into him. Like, Indy's a great place for the Final Four because you just bump into people all the time. It's so small and everything's, sort of like, packed together. Mm-hmm. And so I bump into Ed and, uh, and uh, I say, hey, uh, con- you know, congratulations and, you know, the normal stuff you'd say to somebody. And he said, you know what, GP, I, I don't – maybe I can't coach at this level. You know, maybe that's what we'll find out. But I'm going to get players. I'm going to get dudes. Like, you, you ain't, like I, I won't lose because I don't have players. I promise you that. He was just very confident in his ability – to be able to get players uh, to Providence, you look up now, and not only does he have the you know five star recruit like Chris Dunn, he's like developed guys into college basketball standouts like Ben Penthel. And so, uh, Sam, you tell me uh, when we get to this game. Um, let me say this: the, the other point I wanted. So, like, I'm glad to see Ed on this stage because people are going to be exposed to it, a, a really fun personality. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, um, the thing that would scare me to the extent that I would be scared if I were Roy Williams is that. Um, They've got dudes, you know, like they, that, that Providence yep. team, you know, they were nine and nine in the last 18 games before yesterday. So I guess they're 10 and nine in their last 19. That's good math. Um, <laughs> so they haven't played well. Shout out the math. Shout out the math. Shout out the Devin Downey. They've struggled in the past 19 games, but, um, and that's why they're seated where they're seated, but sure. they still got two guys who can just really get going. Dunn can take over a game. He will be, I think the best player on the court Saturday. And then Big Bento is like, you know, led the Big East in, in scoring. Like, he's a terrific college basketball player and also a pro. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be wrong. I acknowledge that up front. Is it possible uh, we played this game on Saturday? Providence got two of the best three players on the court? I think they do. Yeah. Uh, full stop of the way Marcus Page is playing. They absolutely have two of the three best players on the floor. Um, the thing that I will note about this game is that I think that if if Providence plays up to its full ceiling and North Carolina plays like it did in the first half of the Florida Gulf Coast game, this can absolutely happen because here's the thing, like North Carolina can get in these stretches where they really struggle defensively. And a lot of that is based on their screen and roll defense, right? Like Bryce Johnson isn't really a great screen and roll defender. He's actually pretty bad unless he's like locked in which doesn't happen all that often it, it did happen in the second half of the Florida Gulf Coast game but uh you know their centers like Isaiah Hicks and Kennedy Meeks they don't move real well on the perimeter so Ed Cooley's just gonna put them in screens constantly like like Ed's a smart guy like you said he's just gonna put them in screens constantly constantly let Dunn kind of create and see what happens and go from there and I think that there's a chance that this could happen but the problem is that we've seen over the last couple of weeks that North Carolina can really raise its level of play defensively when it wants to kind of like I don't want to say it's like on a whim but they can really lock in on that end we saw it in the ACC tournament we saw it again last night. So I think that if North Carolina does 
come in locked in defensively, they win this game pretty easily. But if they don't, I think that there is a pretty pretty good chance that uh, Providence could pull this off. You know, Chip, uh, so I, I watched your press conference last night, and I can't sit here and tell you that you had the best question of the day because I just didn't see all the questions. I didn't hear all the questions. I, I don't want to misspeak. And, but I can't tell you you didn't ask the worst question of the day with the worst tone of the day <laughs> yeah. because that happened at the Baylor uh, press conference, which was uh, an interesting moment. One of the one of the uh, uh, I don't know. I laughed moments of uh, the Thursday of the NCAA tournament for folks who haven't seen it yet. I don't know why you haven't seen it yet, uh, but if you haven't, uh, the gist is Baylor loses to Yale and Torian Prince is on the dais and he is asked by a man about Yale grabbing 36 rebounds as opposed to Baylor's 32 rebounds. And he asked in like an aggressive tone. I almost felt like the guy like might have lost money on the game. Like he like he yeah. walked, like he walked into the press conference like pissed off at Baylor and Torrey and Prince and just the whole situation in general because maybe it was like the second half of a parlay that went the wrong way on him, right? So he's got this tone, which I thought was out of line, if only because you have to be aware of, of where you're at. You know, we always talk about it with basketball players, like uh, time and score. Well, for, yeah. for, for journalists, like these kids, um, and I don't want to overstate it. They're not that was kids. Torian Prince's last college game. Right. All right. They put everything they got into this. And his college career is over. And over earlier than most people thought it should be. And, um, you know, they, like understand. Like, you know, how would you talk to somebody who just – like had a, a big moment in their life go the wrong way on them in any walk of life. So to ask the question with that tone was just ridiculous. Um, to ask the question in general also shows a lack of knowledge because, um, as Kim Pomeroy pointed out, and I'll actually take it a step further, um, Yale is one of the best offense, uh, best offensive rebounding teams in the country and defensive rebounding teams in the country. I, I believe when I looked, looked it up last night, there was only one team in the country one, 351 teams, one in the entire country, ranked top 10 in offensive rebounding percentage and top 10 defensive rebounding percentage. It's Yale. So the idea, why would, how could Yale grab more rebounds than Baylor? Well, because Yale's a great offensive uh, rebounding team and a great defensive rebounding team, like maybe the best rebounding team in America. So like, I, I think Yale could probably grab more rebounds than, than most teams in America, honestly, Baylor included. Stupid question. Um, but boy, was Torian Prince's answer like, I mean, it's a it's a it's a press conference moment you'll remember forever, right? Uh, oh, yeah, Hall yeah. of Fame, Hall like, of Fame, <laughs> I, I, like absolutely my favorite soundbite of the day, and probably going to be one of my favorite soundbites of the NCAA tournament. <laughs> like, like sometimes that can go so sour. Like, you know, the the you were talking about the frustration, the human element, like that can manifest itself in lots of different ways, and it can be like a very uh, like a sharp comeback, or it can they can look pouty or whiny, but like he kept straight face the entire time. <laughs> Torian Prince reaches his hands up to give full demonstration <laughs> of what the rebound looks like. I mean, the the full commitment to the answer was <laughs> yes. so impressive. And and I understand again that there's a lot of hurt under there, and that's why right. probably like this was delivered so well. So I feel for Torian Prince that he had to go through that. But man, he uh, he handled that in, like a champ, and and also a great fitting end. You know, coming into this year, I don't know about you guys, or I hope that you haven't discussed it 
too much uh, on the podcast previously, but Torian Prince at Baylor in terms of one team, you know, beginning of the season to end of the season, that was probably one of my favorite stories in the Big 12 because I can't say that I saw him – um, and I, maybe you all saw him this summer because I have heard since then that this summer he was looking incredible at different camps. But I did not see him being as dominant and as good and really like Baylor's star as much as he was during play. So to have him be able to at least after that last game have one last shining moment. There you go. And it wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't just the uh, the words that he said. It was the way he delivered it. Like, yeah, it, it, it felt like it felt like like when Norm MacDonald is telling a great joke, like that's almost the way like Torian Prince delivered it, just sort of like in this very serious tone, but like he knows exactly where he's going, even if you don't know there's where he's going. There's a devil behind my eyes. Like right. there's a menace in the back of my head right now that is in on this joke, but my face is not going to show any uh, of it. Oh, it was perfect. perfect, man. And you know what? I am typically not a fan of players uh, and or coaches being rude just for the sake of being rude like the Popovich stuff I know everybody laughs at it and I understand his motivation like his motivation is basically um hey I'm, I'm going to do my job well you do your job well that's the motivation in the pregame and postgame press conferences don't ask me a stupid question I don't I don't I don't coach stupidly I don't you know so like I do my job well I prepare for my job you prepare for your job don't come in here and ask me stupid questions or oh I'll make sure people understand that was a stupid question and his motivation behind the way he treats the sideline interviews is is simply hey d don't make me do these this is unnecessary and it's not good television it's not good for anything and I'm not going to play along right so I understand his motivation I'm still not a big fan of it because I don't know I just think you should treat people decently when you can but I will say I didn't mind that yesterday because it, the tone, I thought, was out of place from the whoever. Do we know who asked the question? No idea, but that was awful. Yeah, the, tone, the tone was awful, all right? And, but, but beyond that, it was a stupid question. Like, you can have the, the, the wrong tone but ask a really good question. But when you, do, you can't grasp in your silly little mind why Yale might have out-rebounded Baylor in pure rebound, with pure rebounding numbers, if you can't, if you can't understand why that might have happened, um, then you get what you get. I got no problem with it. And it wasn't a crazy discrepancy with 36, 32. No, the guy, it was, I'm telling you, it was no, like, it was exactly what you would expect to happen. If Yale and Baylor, play. <laughs> right. like no. Baylor is like the 127th defensive rebounding team in the country. Cause they play that zone. Like, right. it's not like, it's not like there aren't like actual factors on the basketball floor that say, uh, you know, Yale should never out rebound Baylor. Like, Baylor plays his own. Yale crashes the glass like crazy. Like, what are we? What are we talking about here, Gary? What are we even talking about? I don't even know. I mean, this is just a guy who. I mean, here's what it is. It's just a guy who, um, probably doesn't, probably had no idea that Yale was even in the tournament until he saw him pop up on a, uh, you know, on his screen, uh, Sunday night. And um, then he just has very surface level uh, opinions about basketball, one of which is uh, a team from the Ivy League should never out rebound a team from the Big 12. What happened? Like, that, you know, like that's that's got to yeah. be it. Right. Plus, it, he lost. Oh, no. yeah. He lost on the second half of a parlay. He had Baylor. Yeah, that's what I like. I think I'm going to roll with uh, with your description. <laughs> because he, he went in there mad. He sounded mad because I've been I found myself before, like, uh, you know, whether I'm watching a football game or anything. And I'll, uh, you know, I'm just on the wrong end of it, right? And the team just plays terribly. And, and now I've taken a lot. And, it's, and I start criticizing the coaches 
like on Twitter in ways that I never would otherwise. Like I'm just like I'm just like I don't you know this offensive coordinator. I don't know if she he should keep his. I'm firing offensive coordinators on Twitter. Like I'm just mad about everything. Like that's what it, that's that was my initial um, thought when I heard the tone the man took to it, to his question. He sounds like somebody who who had uh, who had Baylor on the money line and just dropped a whole lot of money because Yale <laughs> came in and, and won its first NCAA uh, tournament game. Uh, ever okay but listen before we go any further let me remind everybody that if your bracket is already busted you can start fresh with new picks and prizes each round over at cbssports.com get involved in the bracket games prizes like i said they are available and if uh you don't have the cbs sports app at this point you are silly as i'm sitting there at that desk uh, every night of the NCAA tournament one of the things i have right in front of me my ipad where is it uh what's it settled on uh the cbs sports app so i can keep up with uh, all the scores in real time. Also, if you don't have a sports line subscription, I don't clearly, clearly, our boy who asked the question uh, in the Baylor press conference did not. Uh, I don't know how you're going to be a successful gambler without the sports line subscription, so go get that. Uh, CBSSports.com, SportsLight.com, and the CBS Sports app. Okay. Um, outside of the Providence buzzer beater and outside of the Torian Prince press conference, uh, Sam, you tell me. Um, Yale beating Baylor. Little Rock beating Purdue, Kentucky and Indiana both winning easily to set up Saturday's awesome showdown. If you were running a newspaper, like back in 1982, and you could only put one, <laughs> you could only put one headline uh, across. Uh, what was the headline from Thursday? Yeah, um, I would say Little Rock. Yeah, probably that was a crazy upset. Crazy, like it, it, and you know, hold on, it wasn't a crazy upset. It was crazy with the way it, it unfolded. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. what I was gonna say. Like I picked it to go down. Like I picked Little Rock in all of my brackets, and I picked Little Rock like in that upset column I wrote on Tuesday. Um, but the way it went down was beyond what I expected. Right, like they're down thirteen with three minutes, three and a half minutes to go. Right, and this game looks over. Like AJ Hammonds is. Playing pretty well. The Purdue guards are, you know, dealing with half court pressure pretty well. And it, it just seems like they're going to kind of roll to it. But, you know, here comes Little Rock. Start uh, Chris Beard starts going crazy on the sidelines, implements like a, a full court pressure that Purdue has not handled well all season. Uh, I don't know why he wasn't doing it a little bit more earlier. Uh, and it just ends up going on an 18 to 5 run to close it out. And that Josh Hagan's three pointer to Woo! tie it. Was unbelievable. Just I saw I read uh, something that Luke Wynn did, who was uh, over at Sports Illustrated, who's at that site, and he I guess he asked Hagens because Hagens is one of the best isolation scores in the country. Uh, he asked Hagens on Tuesday what he does so well in isolation. He's like, yeah, I kind of copied this move from Damian Lillard where it's like a hesitation dribble and then a step back where I just kind of get space for my jumper and I feel like I can knock it down against mm -hmm, anyone. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I guess he answered on Thursday. Then after that, he's like, yeah, I, I asked you about your isolation skill. He's like, yeah, like I knew I wanted to go to that move. But then I realized, like, I am really far away from the basket. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whenever he shot it and he knocked it down, it didn't matter. It was totally unbelievable. Uh, good for Chris Beard. That guy is awesome. He's not going to be at Little Rock long, I don't think. <laughs> no, like our buddy Jeff Goodman, like tweeted yesterday. Like, um, if I were Tulane, I'd go after Chris Beard. Like, Tulane, you got no shot at Chris Beard. Like, that, this thing is this thing has gone further than Tulane at this point. Forget that. Chris Beard should be aiming for TCU, you know, like uh, for, for, for St. Louis, if it, you know, uh, for uh, Oklahoma State, if it opens. I mean, 
his story is wild. Like, this isn't a guy who's known as a hotshot recruiter and, you know, was on John Calipari's staff and now he's a head coach. I mean, it's a guy who's a basketball coach, right? He worked for Bob Knight, uh, learned underneath him, and which doesn't guarantee success, obviously. Isn't it 10 new players? Is yes. that right? Yes. He took, takes, oh my over, gosh. takes over a bad situation, enrolls 10 new players, and, you know, this isn't like the Holy Cross story where they get into the tournament because they got hot at the right time and um, then they win a game over another 16. And, wow, congratulations, Bill Carmody. Like, this team has been good, really good, all year. They've won 30 yeah. games. When you enroll 10 new dudes, win 30 games, and beat Purdue in the round of 64, and now we're at a point where there's nothing crazy about you thinking about – that means you can coach. That means you got the goods. And like, I, oh no, like they play Iowa State now. Iowa State is uh, a team that doesn't have a whole lot of depth having to play a back to back after playing in uh, how many possessions did they play? They played 78 possessions yesterday. After, so running up and down the floor, uh, they play a back to back in altitude in Denver when they run like six to seven guys a game. Little Rock's got a good shot there. No question. Like, they have a real shot to go to the Sweet 16. Do you know what the point spread is? Um, I would imagine it's like three and a half or four. Oh, okay. I I saw six and a half, and I was wondering if that was low, but I, I like what you're calling. At six and a half, I looked at it, and that's what my first thought is like, oh, well, man, Little Rock could, could put together two wins here. Oh, they absolutely could. I mean, they absolutely could. And I, I agree. And I, I'm serious. Like, listen, I always get uncomfortable with these conversations because – um, like this is the best moment in Little Rock basketball history, maybe. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm mostly unfamiliar with Little Rock basketball history, but it, it's it's the best moment in a while. And so, you know, to then say, hey, congratulations, uh, Trojan fans! You realize you're losing oh, your coach in in, in, in in two weeks, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's always a little. But like that's sort of na- the nature of like uh, uh, succeeding at this level. You, if you get too good, you, you're going to lose your coach. But uh, man, like if I were if I were at TCU. I'd take a, you know, and I and I can't get hundred percent, and I can't get Buzz Williams. I'd take a look at Chris Beard. Like if I'm at Saint Oklahoma Louis, State too, if it opens, absolutely, I would. Um, I'd look at Chris Beard because he's clearly got the goods. Like he's he's. Uh, I feel the same way about um, Brad Underwood, frankly. Like I, I, yeah. uh, I, I just think if you if you can, like Brad Underwood's eighty eight and thirteen in three years, fifty nine and one against Southland opponents. They play West Virginia on Friday night. Um, win or lose like I just don't think you I don't think it's possible for a man to dominate a league like that particularly and and let me be clear a league like that like I think John Calipari can dominate Conference USA when he's at Memphis or Mark Few can dominate the WCC at Gonzaga or Greg Marshall can dominate the NBC at Wichita like I when you have such an inherent advantage over everybody else in your league um, in terms of players facilities budgets all that stuff then I I think it is easy to set up and and, uh, and really just roll people but that ain't what Brad's got in the Southland. Like, he, like he, he gets comparable players to everybody else in the Southland, and then he just beats everybody every game with them. Like, when you can yep. do that for a three-year period, you're uniquely talented. I mean, I don't uh, – that's the simplest way I can put it. When you can do what Underwood's done for three straight years, you're a uniquely gifted basketball coach who I think can uh, win almost anywhere. And, um, and I, I don't know that I'm ready to throw Chris Beard quite into that, but if you want to, I won't argue with you. I think he's a, he seems to be a uniquely gifted basketball coach. And uh, he's going to, I would be surprised if he doesn't have uh, opportunities very, very soon. Yeah. So here's the thing with Beard. He's not going to be for everyone. You know, like he's got a, 
mean, kind of a lot of crazy to him. Sure. You know, like, and I mean that in the best possible way, you know, like he, he gets his guys up for games and it's like, it's the right kind of up. He gets them pumped. Like you see, you see them celebrating with like a mosh pit where uh, Liz Shoshi like just shoves them after the game to like get start, get a mosh pit started. Like he's, he's a guy that just gets his guys invigorated and excited in the best way. But you know, all that, all those antics and stuff on the sidelines and in the locker room, that's not going to be for everyone. Right. Like Underwood's the kind of guy that I I don't believe he's like this. I mean, I've seen him, you know, coach maybe 15 times over the last three years on TV, but like uh, he's not that kind of guy. He might be a more amenable coaching coaching prospect so to speak uh to a wider variety of universities so it's going to be interesting to see how those two guys that are in the south kind of end up matriculating to new jobs over the course of the next you know month i would say and maybe beard doesn't go i mean it's entirely possible i think that underwood probably will though given that you know he loses walk up giffard uh Demetrius Floyd, a couple other guys off of his team. I think Trey Pinkney's a senior. So, like, this is the time for Underwood to go. But, you know, Chris Beard, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, TCU is already open. Um, I, I think it's it's sort of understood. Buzz Williams is the target there. You know, it, whether they can get Buzz, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, but if you can't get Buzz, I, I think Underwood makes as much sense as anybody else right there. I mean, I know Jamie Dixon's name will get thrown around. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't – it's a hard job and a tough league, obviously, the TCU job. But, like, I think Underwood's going to be in play there. And then I don't know why St. Louis wouldn't hire him, like, if you could get him. Like, if Oklahoma State isn't available or doesn't want him and then TCU goes to Buzz or somebody else, if I'm St. Louis, I would – honestly, if I were St. Louis, I'd be trying to lock up Brad Underwood right now. I'd say, hey, why they're – So waiting. would I. It yeah. seems like they're messing around with Kevin Stallings right now. I don't, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's true. What do y'all uh, think about that St. Louis job? Like, I, I don't, I don't I think know if I've got a, I think it's a great job. I, Here's yeah. The, I don't have I a full a grasp. Job, yeah. I don't have a full grasp of like how good that job can be, I guess. Here's what I would say. Probably top four job in the league. Ah, wow. Okay. Well, okay. Well, let's, let's start at the top. Dayton's a better okay. job. Dayton's a better job, I think. Yeah. Uh, Is it? Uh, well, okay. Maybe not. Yeah, probably because. Uh, well, there aren't their facilities pretty good. Like Dayton, Dayton has like a lot of money pouring into that program. Yes, yeah. I mean, Dayton's got the support. Okay, Dayton and VCU, I think, are probably the best two jobs in the A10. All right, man. VCU, you think already? Because they invest like crazy. They got the fan base yeah. there. They sold out like eighty something straight games. Like they, yeah. uh, they, they really. I think in terms of support and fan base and now like name recognition. Uh, because yeah. of Shaka and because of, of, of obviously what Arch is doing. I, I would say I'd put Dayton and, and VCU right at the top. But, like, who's ahead of St. Louis after that? In terms of this, um, great city to live in. Brand new. I mean, GW maybe? May, maybe, but I don't know. But I don't know that they pour money into the program. Yeah. Now. And, like, uh, you know, I don't know if St. Louis basketball. Hey, you, you won an A-10 title recently under under Majerus. And when they had that going, they were selling out their building. So the fans will the fans will get involved. They'll care just got to give them a reason to care but one if you're good they'll be there and then um they'll pay i think and then um you know great city all that stuff great city to live in like which i think matters when you got a family yeah for I, sure I, yeah good city to recruit in i mean good city to recruit st louis in. for st louis for a while was on jason tatum's final five i mean it was a it was more of a symbolic gesture sure. to st louis but like it, it, there are good kids in that city that you can pull 
Oh, wow. So St. Louis is a better job than St. Joseph's. I think so. Yes, I think wow. I think I'd rather have the St. Louis job than the St. Joe's job. And, yeah. and, and, and it's impossible for me to judge that because I haven't been alive really since that's been open. Right. But here, here's what I would. <laughs> so if I were St. Louis right now, while presumably TCU is waiting for Buzz's season to get over to to make a run at him. And um, while Oklahoma State is still sort of in limbo, we don't know what's going to happen there yet at the time we're recording. I guess it could pop at any time, but at the moment we're recording, it's still sort of just sitting there. Um, or it could not. But, yeah, like, it no, might. It, it might not open. Like, it might not. I, I, everything I've heard suggests that it was going to, but I, here's the thing. I can't understand why it hasn't not, unless this is it. I had somebody present this to me yesterday. They, because if you're going to make a coaching change – like there's no sense for Travis to be sitting there right now. You know, like that season's been like, I could understand waiting till Monday and then I could understand waiting till Tuesday. And here's why the women's selection show was Monday. Oklahoma state's women were in it. I believe somebody told me this. So you didn't want that to overshadow your, your women's basketball team. Like you didn't want to make announce the coaching change on. So like you let your women have their moment, but then why not? If you're going to do it, why not do it Tuesday or Wednesday? Or Thursday, like what are you waiting on? It's almost not. It's almost unfair to Travis and his staff to sort of leave him hanging like this. And then, and and I had a person tell me this: the only obvious explanation would be if Oklahoma State has decided, listen, we still owe Travis like seven. It's 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 in excess of seven million dollars, and we could we could we could justify keeping him because like this year, like Forte's hurt, um, you know, the injuries all over the court. It's just a bad situation. Still, one of the only teams to beat Kansas. Like we can justify keeping him and not eating that seven million dollars right now. There are problems there, but keep uh, no, I hear you. I hear you. But like, I, I'm just saying. But, but let's less miles. It's it, a less miles situation. Well, no, well, no the, it, big, the biggest no. problem there is that like, what if you're good next year? Well, no, here's what or I'm like. Trying. What if you're like ten and eight in the Big Ten or Big Twelve next year? Well, here's what I'm trying to tell you is that you know Buzz Williams is still coaching. Buzz Williams, if that job is open, is going to be the target there, right? I don't know if they can get him, but that's the target. And I wonder if Oklahoma State has decided on some level, if we can get Buzz Williams, let's make a coaching change. Yeah. If we can't, let's just ride this thing out with Travis one more year. Yeah, no, I don't think that's crazy. I, I, that's... I, I, I wonder if that's where we're at. Once upon a time, Arkansas did that with, I believe it was Stan Heath. They, they were, it, was, it was like, hey, let's get, let's get rid of Stan Heath because we can lock up Billy Gillespie right now. Like that, that's what, that was the motivation behind firing Stan Heath when they did it. Because they had, they had uh, a Billy Gillespie locked well, it's, up. It's what happened with Rick Ray, too, last summer. It's exactly what happened with Rick Ray last summer. They had Ben Howland locked up so they could fire Rick Ray. Um, they might have they done Rick Ray no matter what, but you're definitely right. Like, they knew they could get Ben Howland right now. So it was like, hey, if we can get Ben Howland right now, let's just do this right now. And so that, that might be, uh, you know, all, again, go back to the Arkansas story. And you might remember that, that search went crazy after they fired Stan Heath because they had it basically understood. We fire Stan, we hire Billy, let's go. Yeah. And then Kentucky opened. And then whoever was advising Billy said, hold up, you ain't far down that Kentucky list. Let Jay Wright not get this. Let Billy Donovan not want this. Let Rick Barnes turn this down. And then now it's you. And so then Arkansas opens, Gillespie won't commit to them. He then lands at Kentucky, as somebody advised him he might. And then suddenly Arkansas was like, whoa, we didn't even have a backup plan. Like they didn't think they needed a backup plan. And so I wonder if Oklahoma State isn't taking that approach. If, if we can get Buzz Williams, uh, let's just let's, let's get Buzz Williams. Then we make a coaching change. But if not, 
we really want to pay seven and a half million dollars to make Travis Ford go away to go hire Brad Underwood? It like, seems like a sane line of thinking. Like it seems like that isn't a oh, bad I don't think, way yeah. to approach this. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's crazy. Like I'm not being critical. I'm just offering a possible um, explanation there. So, uh, well, so, like here's the other thing too. Like if you if you think Underwood's the guy, this would be done already. Like if you think that he is the guy to lead your program into the future, it'd be done. But it's clear there's some hold up there still there's, in that regard. There's clearly a hold think? up. Yeah, there's clearly a hold up there, and on some level for some reason. And I would also say the price of oil has affected what what can and cannot be done at Oklahoma State as well. Like a lot of their, That's true. you know, the the price of oil has plummeted, and um, and and that it like listen, nobody's poor. None of the people who were billionaires are now poor, but their net worth has dropped significantly, you know, in in recent years, and that. Um, that just means that the, the so-called purse strings aren't aren't as loose as they as they used to be. But I don't even know how we ended up on this conversation. But the, my bottom line would be uh, Oklahoma State's in limbo. TCU seems to be waiting to see if if they can get buzz. And that means they got to wait for Virginia Tech to lose in the NIT at this. Like St. Louis has a real window here. I would be throwing every, you know, with with respect to Brad is still coaching. He's got a game yeah. Friday night. I would be I would be going hard at. Brad's representatives saying, hey, let's lock this up. We've got a great job. We've got a great facility. We've got a great city. We want your guy. We're not waiting on somebody else. You're our guy. Mm -hmm. Let's lock this up and see if you could put Underwood in a position where he'd be willing to just go ahead and take St. Louis as opposed to wait for maybe Oklahoma State if it opens or or TCU. Would you rather have St. Louis or TCU? That's a good question. That's a, and a very fair question. I think you take Oklahoma State if it's offered no matter what. But the the, yeah. the question about would you rather have TCU or St. Louis is a very reasonable thing to ask. I, yeah. I, I mean, part of it's money, obviously. Part of it would be money. I would imagine like if one, if TCU them, will open the purse strings. If, but one like, of them, if one of them's open, offer, if TCU's offering 2.3 and St. Louis is offering 1.3, then I, I guess we want TCU. But um, in terms of just pure basketball jobs, I'm not uh, I, I'm not confident that that. Um, the TCU is definitely the better situation for a basketball coach. Let's get back to the NCAA tournament. How about the Shockers? <laughs> yeah. How about the Shockers? Blowout yep. Vanderbilt, first four. Uh, blowout Arizona in the round of 64. I know it was only 65-55 final, but they dominated. They the blew game. them out. Blew them out. Yeah. Blew them out. Ran them off the court. Sean Miller was extremely gracious in his post game, And um, here we are. Suddenly, Wichita State is uh, playing Miami in the round of 32. What's the number on that game? Chip, you've seen it yet? Yeah, Wichita State favored by two. How about that? The first four Shockers favored over the third-seeded Miami Hurricanes. Your thoughts, Sam Vecini, and if you have anything you'd like to say about how the committee seats teams, this would be your opportunity. Oh, do I do I really want to get into that? Like, they clearly misseeded Wichita. Like, it's it, I've been saying it since they seeded Wichita. But like, and it's not that you hurt Wichita when you misseed Wichita. You hurt everyone around them. Like you hurt Vanderbilt or whoever you're going to put in. Sounds, you like hurt, you're de- sounds like you're describing a drug problem. You hurt Arizona. <laughs> you yeah. need an intervention. <laughs> the committee, the committee you did, needs an when you intervention. Have a, when you have a heroin problem, you don't just hurt yourself. You hurt all the people around you. Yes. That's exactly what the committee did. The here. committee gave Wichita State a heroin problem. Joe Castiglione, yeah. we got to talk. Come in Oh, um, yes, but that's the thing, though. You hurt the teams around them. Like, that Arizona team was a pretty good team this year, right? Like, they were not a bad – they were not a bad team by any means. Um, Wichita just destroyed them last night. 
just absolutely destroyed them all over the floor. And, you know, we need to get to the point where with seeding, we're not just basing it on these wins and losses based resumes. We need to do it by what they do on the floor, right? We need to do it on like, you know, margin of victory. We need to better ascribe value to road wins because, you know, there are actually studies out there that say the committee does not do a good job of ascribing value to road wins. Um, we need to do a better job of, you know, using basketball, maybe use basketball people on the committee to tell you, Hey, like what you're about to do is really stupid. And you're, you might just like submerge your bracket here by, uh, you know, putting Wichita as an 11 or Kentucky as a four. Uh, it's just, it's frustrating in, in a lot of ways. It's good because we're getting all of these great matchups early. Uh, but at the same time, you know, th this bracket was a mess as we, as we said, you know, 45 minutes after it came out on this very podcast, this bracket was a mess and it has created a lot of situations where a lot of really good teams are going to go home early that might not deserve to. Here's what I would say. Here's where you run into an issue is that, um, and I, I do, I, I believe in this to some degree. And by the way, let me let me throw this out there before sure. you say this. I'm not just saying use Ken Palm to seed the uh, seed the NCAA tournament or use a single metric to seed the NCAA tournament. You need to use a breadth of things. You need to put basketball people like John Calipari pointed out after his team was seeded as a four. You need to put basketball people on the committee uh, that, that really know the game that, you know, you know, coaches, former players, you know, even like put one media person there to say, this is not going to look good if you do this. Like you don't it publicly, you are not going to have a good argument for this. If you do this, you know, just have like one person there sitting there telling them that. Um, and maybe like that will help things as far as figuring it out, but you need to get a wider breadth of people there in the committee who understand metrics, understand basketball and, you know, understand the logistics of things to really set up what could be a more fair and balanced tournament based on seating. Where I think the committee runs into an issue is um, if you just want to uh, like base everything on resume, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't think it would give us the best teams in the tournament every year, but at least it would be clearly defined. Like, hey, we don't care what your metrics show. We don't care whether you'd be favored in Vegas or not over another team. We're going to judge you based on what you've accomplished. Win games. Don't lose to bad teams. And if you're one of the 36 best at large, we'll put you in and we'll seed you according to your resume. Um, I don't know if that's the smartest way to do it, but... I wouldn't have a problem with it because everybody would at least understand what the stakes are. You know, doesn't matter if, if uh, Sagarin loves you. Doesn't matter if Kim Pom loves you. You better be able to show us on a resume or else. Again, I don't think that'd be the smartest way, but at least we'd all understand what's going no, on. No, I don't agree with that at all because this Wichita team can like win a title this year. And if you do that, you're putting this Wichita team out. You're putting out one of the teams, like one of the 15 teams this season that can win a title. That's not fair at all. Well, you know, well, here's what here would be the counter argument to that. Um, but they showed that throughout the course of the season is my point. And they also like, showed that they could lose to, to bad teams in the Missouri Valley. And they also showed that they lost games without Fred Van Vliet. And it's not a forgiving thing in any other sport. Like if you lose um, uh, Andrew Luck 
for a bunch of games in the NFL, we don't then look at the NFL playoffs and say, yeah, but, you know, they were without Andrew Locke, so we should put them in the playoffs. We say, no, we're basing it on your win-loss record. What did you do? What did you not do? This is the playoffs. Do better next year. You know, we don't put, you know, Tom Brady tears his ACL. We don't put the Patriots in because, you know, like, um, you know, they were without Tom Brady, and so what are you going to do? We don't add all this context to other sports. When it comes, you know, we we don't look at um, uh, a baseball team and say, okay, listen, they lost their ace for four months, but he's back now. So even though that team's not going to make the postseason, we should at least put them in the wild card because now they're clearly one of the teams that could win it because Clayton Scherzer, well, Kershaw's no longer. Here's hurt. the thing, though: those teams are operating on a more even playing field than, like, the NFL is a much more even playing field as far as parity throughout the league, the MLB, uh, the NBA. Like, those leagues are all quite even as far as what you're looking for, as far as strength of schedule and as far as all of the other factors that go into, you know, how these teams have to schedule. So I'm not sure it's really an apples-to-apples comparison. No, it's not an apples-to-apples. That's why you have to use a committee to seed teams and – you need to use all of the information because college basketball is such a diverse ecosystem, basically, as far as uh, who these teams have to play. Now, listen, I, here's the thing. I, we're getting all twisted here. Um, I actually agree with you. Like, that's the point I was trying to make. My point was, sure. um, if they decided to simply seed by resume, I, I, I wouldn't agree with it. I wouldn't think it's the smartest way to do it. But I, I wouldn't object to it every day because at least everybody would know what the score is. You could look every coach in the face at the end of the year who was on the wrong side of, of the bubble or who wasn't seated properly and say, but this is your resume. Have a better resume next year. It sure. wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be smart, but it would be clearly defined. Here's where I think the committee runs into an issue. They clearly use the metrics to include teams. They, they clearly did it with Wichita. They would have done it with Gonzaga if they needed to. They clearly did it with Vanderbilt. So if you're going to use the metrics to include teams, then why not? Why stop there? That's where I like think. Why, why is it a tiebreaker? Okay. Why, why well, here's, here's the like, biggest here's place where the they, committee runs into the problem. Here's what they do. It, it's almost like this. They, they, they put Wichita in the field based on metrics and then seeded them on the resume. They put Vanderbilt in the field based on metrics and then seeded them based on the resume. And I think that's where you run into a problem. If you're going to use... The, the metrics to, to decide who you include in a bracket, then why would you not follow through with that and, and then use them um, in, in how you seat teams? Because that's clearly not what they did here. Yeah, no, I agree. The biggest problem where I think the committee runs into the most issues is that they say, like, just flat out, every selection committee member has his own criteria. What? Like, in what realm does that make sense at all? Like, I guess the idea is that you, like, kind of have a lot of different people that are looking for different things, and eventually in the end it'll even out. But it's pretty clear that it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Like, that's not working at this stage. So you need to find a way to maybe not have every committee member use his own criteria or maybe uh, add different different sets of people to the committee. The problem oh, man. is I don't, I don't think it's like, going to get better. 
I don't I just don't see that it, it getting better. Like I think about the World Cup and in the World Cup it, you just get pulled out of a hat and right. it's like, "Oh, this is this is the group you go to." And this is the World Cup, like one of the biggest global sporting events ever and it's totally random. So, I like two reactions to this. Number one, this particular year, like the the cheesy quote that I, I I toss around in radio hits is I'm not sure there's much of a difference between team 15 and team 50 in college basketball this year. Like I just didn't really mm-hmm. see a ton of difference. And so in terms sure. of once you got in the tournament, like I didn't think there was going to be a huge difference between a four seed and an eight seed. And you know, there's the, any of that could get mixed up. And so from a, what do you tell a coach? I think that as we continue to get more and more ridiculous and the messages continue to conflict against each other, it's like, sorry coach, but uh, the selection committee you know it might as well be a world cup draw like it really might as well be random at this point because there's so many different data points that are being used to point to it all you can do is control what you can control try to get the hell out of your group and into the knockout round which i guess would be like the first weekend in the sweet 16 you know what i I, I will say this Uh, i don't know that we want to be using fifa as a beacon of how to you know seed in place teams but we ain't far man you know well here's here's the thing i would say like and i'm not endorsing that but and, and you'd have to get a little more, you know, you couldn't have Kansas and, and North Carolina like playing each other in the round of 64. But it, if it were some sort of random draw, at least everybody, nobody be bitching about whether it's fair or not. Like, the, you, know, right. you know, it'd just be like, hey, what are you going to do? The, the, we got lucky and we didn't get and this other team didn't get lucky. Like it, it, that would at least eliminate a lot of these arguments, because I really do believe this. Um, I think it's hard to do. I think it's hard. It's hard. It, you're never going to create a bracket where people aren't complaining about it because it'll absolutely because that it, I agree with, because here's the deal. If you start you, if you take Wichita state and you seed them appropriately, well define that Sam, where would you have seeded them? Probably like an eight or okay. so. I think that you can find a way to mesh, you know, pure wins and losses with like efficiency numbers and with, um, you know, I test based on, you know, the way they played when they were healthy. I mean, I think they were 21 and three this year when they were healthy with Fred Van Vliet and two of those losses are road and neutral losses to like solid teams like Northern Iowa. And, uh, who was, who was their road loss during the middle of the season? It was Illinois, uh, State. It was Illinois State. State, right? Illinois State. That's like losing to Illinois State on the road is basically the same as, you know, like Texas Tech going out and beating, I'm trying to think who is your who's your middle of the road Big 12 team? Iowa Oklahoma State. State. Iowa State. Maybe not Iowa State, but like okay, maybe maybe that's a bad example. Yeah, the Big like, 12 is a bad beating, league to use. Yeah, beating Illinois, beating Illinois State on the road. It's like beating is probably Florida. A similar it's like win. beating Florida State. Yeah, it's probably a similar win to beating uh, Florida State or you know Syracuse at home. You know, uh, so it's it's really we need to get a better sense of how to judge these wins and losses first and foremost. And the best way to do that is by incorporating uh, the research that, you know, experts in in data like Ken Pomeroy and like Jeff Sagarin and like, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Paga over at Michigan state that they have done already. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like the information isn't out there. Like we, we have the information that show, you know, what a win should truly be worth. Right. I I, I, need to do a better job incorporating. I agree with you. uh, But like, if we did that, I promise you, like if we put you and I'm talking about smart, this is, I mean, this is a compliment and I fundamentally Mm -hmm. agree with what you're saying. Uh, I guess I would just add this point. If I put you, Ken, Kevin, Jeff Sagarin on the committee. You guys were the committee. You're all smart guys. You understand all the numbers. You understand basketball, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. 
By the way, I'm not advocating for this. Either. No, 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 I know. But, like, here's my point. And then you guys put together the smartest bracket in the history of NCAA tournament brackets. You would have a basketball coach on Selection Sunday saying, hold up. How is this team seated uh, 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 ahead of us? We've got better wins. We don't have as many bad losses. We finished uh, this place in our standings, and it was a true round robin, and they were two spots below us. Uh, this is wrong. Like, you can't just base it on what you think or what some fancy formula. Like, this is a wins and loss game. This is a win and loss sport. We- See, and this is this is where I would counteract you. I would say that we need to put coaches on the committee. We need to put... Uh, you know, former coaches or former players on the committee as well. We need to have a greater diverse uh, group of people that do the selecting, not just athletic directors and, uh, you know, administrators. I agree. I agree with all of this. It's just um, I, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it. We have there's some, not. I we, totally yeah, agree with you. We, we have it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult task. And among the reasons is because, like you pointed out earlier, it's a completely unbalanced playing field. Like, how do you compare how do you reasonably compare Monmouth to Vanderbilt? Like, it's just a very, yep. it's a very difficult thing to do. Let's move on. Before we get out of here, um, the big game Saturday, uh, Kentucky, Indiana, round of 32 Woo! game. Yeah, I know, right? It's the Big Ten champs against mm. the SEC champs. It is Tom Crean against John Calipari. It is uh, uh, one of the most passionate fan bases in America against one of the most passionate fan bases in America. It's Tyler Ulis and Yogi Ferrell. Like, I really... Uh, the Wichita-Kentucky game was awesome round of 32 a few years ago because it had this amazing storyline, the preseason number one against the only undefeated team in America. Like, it just checked all the boxes. But, like, this, in terms of big brands, I don't think you can get better than these two big brands playing at 5.15 Eastern on CBS Saturday. That is America's most watched network. Ratings bath, baby. It's a ratings, ratings bath. bath. It's a ratings bath. We're all getting raises, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Well... Well, we'll no. see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But um, I mean, Maybe. like seriously, I, like that's as good as it gets, right? Oh yeah, no doubt. And and the fact that Indiana looked so good because the last time we saw Indiana, they were getting beat by Michigan in the Big Ten tournament, going home early. And so you kind of have that like, oh no, is this you know this Indiana team played well during the year? They were looking good. All the the youth, the players like OG Anuobi, you know Thomas Bryant, like the everyone seemed think seemed to be clicking. They lose to Michigan, but then they look great uh, on Thursday, which means you expect that you're going to get you know, top-notch level of play from both teams, which is just going to be absolutely awesome. Sam? Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a fun game. Yeah, you sound excited. <laughs> it's going to be going to be a fun game, you know? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, let's uh, – I'm excited most for the point guard battle, I think. You know, Yogi Ferrell and Tyler Eulis is probably the best matchup of point guards that we're going to see this entire season, right? Probably. Like, right. I, it, I mean, it would be – Difficult to top that, I would think. Uh, just the way that those two those two play, the way that they're actually kind of similar in stature, and they're just going to attack each other right off the bat. They're both really physical guys, both really get after it defensively in a way that I don't think that Yogi gets credit for. Uh, Yogi actually is a really good physical defender of point guards who kind of gets up under you and uh, really messes with you. Um, what I am most looking forward to uh, beyond that would be the battle of the big men inside. Can Thomas Bryant and Scalabissier kind of uh, kind of match up with each other? Because Bryant doesn't really have a really good lower body yet. So Scal might be able to actually kind of cause some issues in this game inside. Like he was awesome against Stony Brook. He was absolutely terrific. Like everyone thought that Jamil Warney was going to roll all over him and, you know, Scal had 
I think six points, four rebounds and five blocks in the first half against Stony Brook. Like it was a really impressive performance. If he can continue to have that going forward, I think Kentucky wins this game, but it's going to be a matchup that's absolutely worth watching if only to uh, help out our network. All right. (laughs) Predictions. Uh, Sam, you first. Uh, Kentucky prevails or Tom Crean onto the Sweet 16. Do they do they get to bust out a ladder for winning their like mini regional? I hope so. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't. Man, that makes it tough. I'm gonna go Kentucky. Um, yeah, I just kind of trust this full backcourt with Tyler Eulis and Jamal Murray since we haven't mentioned the top five pick yet. Mm. Uh, Jamal Murray's really good at basketball, and the the front court's coming along still. And I don't know that Indiana's front court can really punish them in the way that I think you need to punish Kentucky uh, to beat them. So I'm going to go Kentucky. I'll go by like six or seven points. Oh, chip. It's like two possessions. It's not that bad. Yeah. One possession game. Uh, who do you trust on that floor? Either team to take a shot. I'm going with Jamal Murray. I mean, just dropping daggers here in the last couple weeks. Uh, so he's firing off bow and arrows at Yogi Ferrell and I'm going Kentucky by four. I can't publicly pick against Tom Green. Good for you. I respect this. <laughs> I'm a, I'm ride or die with Do Tom Crane. You know what? Let me be here's I'll be as candid as I can be. Um I either like I wrote Sunday night as soon as this bracket came out, like somebody's fan base is completely melting down Saturday night, right? It'll be how were we got all these pros in, in Rupp Arena and we can't even make it to the sweet sixteen. That's my Kentucky fan impersonation, I guess. Um uh, so, like, that's going to happen if they lose. And then on Indiana's side, it's also going to happen. Here we go again. Big Ten champs. Can't even get to the Sweet 16. But I do think this. Uh, Indiana fans will be more irrational with the loss because it'll lead to, like, we need to fire Tom Crean conversations. Mm-hmm. Indiana fans, I, it, hey. I'll, I'll, it's going to happen. I know. It's going to happen. It will absolutely happen. I think Indiana fans will will act more irrationally with a loss than Kentucky fans will, if you could even believe that. Hell and, yeah, because you got De'Aaron Fox and yeah. like like a number one recruiting class in the country coming right. in next yeah. year. Like Kentucky fans will will sort of they'll be mad and they'll start to question whether John Calipari can really maximize talent. And you know we got knocked off by Wisconsin last year, and here we are getting locked off. by what's the point of getting all these five star recruits if we don't hang banners inside Rupp? Like. All that stuff will get said, but I don't. My think, brain is just going to hurt this weekend. Um, but but <laughs> but, but um, I don't think anybody's going to actually like fire CoachCal.com, right? But um, but but Tom Crean will have to deal with that if Indiana is to lose this game. Which let me be very clear is so stupid, so stupid. You have no idea how stupid it is that Indiana fans think they need a new basketball coach. All right, but they will think that if Indiana loses, and because I'm rooting for. Uh, whatever scenario avoids the most irrational response, um, I will pick the Indiana Hoosiers to win a basketball game by the final score of 75 to 74. Oh, it's going to be a barn burner chip. Yes. And then, Uh. and then the only other thing I'm looking forward to Saturday is chip asking Chris Dunn about foul trouble. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. So is it the last press conferences that probably get the most airtime? Yes. That's what I need to do is yes. I just need to make sure that I go to the last press conference, yes. uh, which will which will be uh, North Carolina and Providence. Oh, so. yes. Listen, here's what you need. OK, um, we will be on the air. 
We'll be running your press conferences live. And I, I want you to, to, you know, you have to raise your hand and then they bring your microphone for people who've never been in one of these press conferences. So you raise your hand, they bring your microphone, and then here's the, and then I want you to stare right at Roy Williams or Ed Cooley, doesn't matter which one, maybe both, and I want you to say, uh, this is Chip Patterson, colleague of Gary Parrish. And Chris, I was just wondering, when you got going in the first half, you, I want you to mention my name in your question. Please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'll be, li- or, or. If you don't want to mention my name because you think that's weird, you can shout out Devin Downey. Okay, I was I was wondering if that's where you were going with this. Like <laughs> Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com. Shout out Devin Downey, Chris. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, you know what you need to do. What? You need to ask. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, Roy. Uh, this is Chip Patterson, CBS Sports. Uh, you know, how does Providence? Out rebound North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'd be really mad. Like you just like you like you had Carolina minus whatever. And you got yeah. you got you got pummeled on a on a backdoor cover, Roy. And, how does Providence out rebound North Carolina? He looks at you and says, um, um, "Like North Carolina, we got out. Re- they grab more rebounds than us." Thirty six, thirty two. How does that happen? Listen, you were up by nine, and then you took Bryce Johnson out, and then you won by seven. And you had what the ball. You had the ball, 17 <laughs> seconds to go, and rather to push it back up to nine, you just dribble it out. Explain yourself. Shout out to Devin Downey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. You got it, guys. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hold you to this. And remember, if uh, your bracket's already busted, head back over to CBSSports.com. You can start fresh with new picks and prizes each round uh, at CBSSports.com. Get the CBS Sports app. Uh, get the Sportsline subscription. Uh, get rich or die trying. I'll talk to you again on Sunday. Good night.